I'm going to share with you guys something that the Lord began to reveal to me this week, and it's probably going to be a little rough because I'm still processing it, what it is that the Lord is saying. So bear with me. Um, I've got a ton of scripture, so get your bottles ready. What we're going to talk about is spiritual inheritance in the context of the generations. Okay, so spiritual inheritance in the context of the generations. And this is the download that the Lord gave me this week was how crucial the partnering of the generations is to spiritual inheritance. So I want us to go all the way back to Genesis. Can somebody open up Genesis 1.28 and read that for us? And then we're also going to read Luke 10.22 and Matthew 28.18 through 20. Uh, Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is God's mandate to Adam and Eve, right? And in theology, it's often called the dominion mandate. In other words, God told Adam and Eve, I want you to have dominion over the earth. I want you to rule over the earth. I want you to care for it. I want you to steward it. I want you to walk in the authority that I'm giving you right now. Okay? So that's the dominion mandate. The problem with the dominion mandate is what? What happened to it? We Well, right. We forfeited it through sin, right? So we ended up giving over our dominion to the enemy through our sin. And we, yeah, our work became cursed. Our dominion became hindered where God originally designed us to have dominion that would just continue to increase with the generations, right? So Adam and Eve, they fill the earth, they multiply, they fill the earth, and each generation would just take more and more dominion, increasing God's kingdom, so to speak, on the earth. That was the original dominion mandate. So when sin entered the picture, that got completely cut off. Okay? So, Luke 10, 22. Amy? Uh, says, my brother has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Okay, so what, read the very first part of that verse again. My Father has entrusted everything to me. Okay, so we see that the reason Jesus came onto the scene, and we all know this, right, is so that he could restore, he could redeem what was lost through sin. So God actually entrusted all authority to Jesus, and at that moment on the cross when the price for sin was paid, all authority reverted back to Jesus. So what does that look like then as far as the dominion mandate goes? Okay, so let's read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love this. This is so cool. I don't know if you guys have ever caught this before, but this was new for me this week. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, right? So right there we see he just took back everything that the enemy had stolen through sin. In that moment, he's declaring, now all dominion, all authority is mine. So I'm going to give you a new dominion mandate. 
Do you guys see that? So what was started in the garden, now Jesus is saying, okay, now the authority is mine again. And so now I'm going to actually give you a new mandate and send you out again, this time, doing what? What does he say, Dave? What does he want us to do? Well, keep up and make disciples. Everybody get baptized and all. Exactly. (laughs) So in other words, he says, fill the earth with spiritual sons and daughters. Okay, Genesis, it was biological sons and daughters and rule and the authority that God had given us. Now Jesus is saying, I want you to go fill the earth with spiritual sons and daughters and actually release the authority that I'm conferring upon you. That is now mine, taken back from the enemy. Okay, so we see here that this dominion has been completely redeemed, completely restored. Why is that important? We have to know the foundation that we're operating from. And I think sometimes we don't realize that what we're called to do, the work has actually already been done. The authority has been given. We just have to go in obedience and walk it out. Okay? So this foundation is super crucial to where we're headed as far as generational inheritance goes. Okay, this is kind of where the Lord started opening things up for me. The Lord loves to work through families. He loves to work through families. That's why he created the family in the garden. One man, one woman. Who was it that he gave the original dominion mandate to? A family. A family. A family. He didn't give it to Adam. He didn't give it to an individual. He gave it to a family because the family is the vehicle that Jesus has chosen to work through on the face of the earth. It's it's joy to his heart. It's his original design. Okay, so we see this in both the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. So in the Old Covenant, God works through the family bloodline, so our actual biological bloodline. So we see this in the 12 tribes of Israel, right? We see it in God showing up to Abraham and saying, Hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your descendants, and through your son and your grandson and all your descendants, the whole earth is going to be blessed, right? So he says that to Abraham, and Abraham knows that that's his physical bloodline. What he doesn't understand probably as much in that moment is that it also is his spiritual bloodline. Because in the Old Covenant, we see God using these examples most in the natural, okay? Working through natural families or tribes. Okay, in the new covenant, we see him working through a spiritual family, primarily, right? The family of God, the body of Christ, but he also works through the bloodline. Okay, I'm going to show you guys some examples of this. Okay, so we're going to talk mostly this morning about David and Solomon and how crucial the generational vision was and the generational momentum was between David and Solomon. But we're also going to touch a little bit on. Timothy in the New Covenant and what Timothy carried as a son. Okay, you guys throw some things out that you think of when you think of David. Descriptions of David. Shepherd. Shepherd. Worshiper. Warrior. Warrior. Mm-hmm. After God's heart. Yeah. Leader. Failure. Imperfect. <laughs> Imperfect, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, thank goodness he had some flaws. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd never relate to him. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's see, Pam, can you open up to 1 Samuel 16, 21? Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. 
So it came about, whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Okay. All right, let's put a pin in that and hold on to that for a second. And can somebody read 1 Samuel 16, 18? Back up a little bit. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we see here that the Lord has handpicked David and given him certain qualities, right? He's a man of war, a man of valor. He's a man of the presence of the Lord. He becomes Saul's armor bearer and has favor with the king because of who God has made him to be, because of the, the qualities and the skills that the Lord has given him. I mean, the description that, can you read that description one more time, hon? Skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So because David shows, and we know from reading in the Old Testament and passages that describe both in the Psalms and in Samuel, he chose to trust in the Lord. He chose to be a man who sought the Lord, a man after his own heart. <clears throat> the Lord blessed him with his favor, and that favor caused him to be brought before kings, right? Which basically catapulted David into his destiny. Between the time that he served with Saul and the anointing of Samuel on his life to become the future king, those two things were crucial to where David headed in his life, the calling and anointing that God had on his life. So we see that the Lord has equipped him to do all these things. Now, one of the other things we know about David, obviously, is in 1 Samuel 17, because of all these qualities that he carries, he is a man of valor, so he goes to fight against Goliath and takes down the enemy of God, right? Again, that catapults him into greater favor. We know when we read in 1 Samuel that all the maidens of the land were singing songs about him, which made Saul jealous, right? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, okay? So his, his bravery, his boldness, his, his determination to fight for righteousness catapults him into this place of greater favor. Now, on the national stage, not just with the king, but on the national stage. Can somebody read 1 Samuel 18, 4 through 5? Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him in his own, own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belts. You number five too. Mm -hmm. So David went out uh, wherever Saul sent him and, be, and behaved wisely and Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. All right, so again, we see that David is increasing in the favor that the Lord is giving him. And as he's going out to war on behalf of Saul, God is giving him victory after victory after victory. Now, we're not going to take time this morning to dig into the fact that then David had to go through a wilderness season. We all know that he had to go through a wilderness season. And that wilderness season was also crucial preparation for the palace, right? We all know that. But... What I want us to think about here at this point is 
looking at how God is setting David up for the call on his life. At this point in David's life, if you could choose one word to describe David, what would that one word be? Throw one out at this point in his life. Popular. Popular. Destined. Destined. Brave. Yeah, brave. Right, we see that he's he is the warrior that God's called him to be. He's walking in courage, and that's bringing favor on his life, right? <clears throat> okay, let's jump to 2 Samuel 5, verses 10 and 12. Okay, verse 10. And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. <clears throat> verse 12 says, And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Okay, so this is after his wilderness time, and now he's come into his kingship. And what do we see the Lord doing for David? Exalting him. Exalting him. Establishing him, right? Yeah, because he's been so brave. He's been established as the king. God is giving him rest. God is giving him favor. And now let's jump to chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. So now David is in this place of experiencing the favor of the Lord. He's in this place of seeing the work of his hands blessed. And out of this place begins to grow this desire in his heart. V, can you read for us 7 verses 1 and 2? Mm -hmm. um, now the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from, from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to the nation, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. What's in David's heart there? Worship. Worship. What's in his heart? Establish a temple. Establish a temple, right. So, up until this point, David has been a man of war. This is really important. I want you guys to hear this, okay? David has fought battle after battle after battle to establish the kingdom of God. The kingdom that the Lord has caused him to rule over. The kingdom that the Lord has destined him to expand and to establish. And now that's established. And what rises up in his heart is, I have a vision. I have a vision of rest now that I'm walking in rest. I have this vision of creating a place for God to dwell. Creating something that will last past my generation, that will last through the generations, I want to build a house for the Lord. And if we continue to read in that chapter, we see that Nathan the prophet goes, he says to him, do whatever's in your heart to do, David, but then he leaves and God gives him a dream and says, Nathan, actually, David is not going to be the one to build my house. Why? Did anybody know? Because he's a man of war. He's a man of war. His call was to... Right. His call was to fight. His call was to establish territory. His call was to set up my kingdom in a place of rest. He will not be the one to build the temple. It's his son that's going to establish the temple. Okay, so right there we see a really crucial principle of generational succession. This was in the heart of the Lord. So the, the Lord allowed David's heart to be stirred from this place of rest, from this place of victory, of wanting to establish something that would last, to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord. But the Lord says, no, that's not for you. I've called you to something else. What I want you to do is pass this vision on to your son, who will actually be the one to build. 
You guys, what the Lord began to show me this week was so crazy, and I don't even know why I'm crying. <laughs> the battles that we fight and that we win as warriors will become the foundation of building that the next generation will have. Do you guys understand that? The battles that we're called to fight and win through the power of the Spirit will become the foundation for the next generation. You know, we hear that phrase all the time, our ceiling becomes their floor. But it's true in greater ways than we can process. If David had not been willing to be the man that he was, to walk in the destiny that God had given him and fight to establish the kingdom, his son would not have had the foundation to build the house of the Lord that he needed. In fact, we see as we continue to read, David then, knowing what God tells him through the prophet, begins to store up all the materials that his son would need to build the house of the Lord. He sends for timber, he calls for gold, he calls for silver, he calls for craftsmen, and he begins to set aside all the materials that Solomon would need because he knows God has not allowed me to do this. This is for the next generation, but I will prepare the way now that I have fought these battles and I'm in a place of rest. I will prepare the way for my son so that he will thrive in the call that the Lord has given him. It's crazy. Now, I want us to think about that for just a minute before we jump into Solomon. I want us to think about how that affects us as individuals. Most of us have not had the blessing that Solomon had of a, a father who had the foresight and the willingness to fight for kingdom territory and then pass that inheritance on to their son. Mm. Most of us have not had that blessing. But as we're going to talk about in a little bit, that does not mean that we cannot walk in the fruit of that because Christ has made way for us through taking that dominion back for us to walk in the fullness of the dominion that he's given to us. So just because our father did not make a way and provide and set aside materials and fight battles for us doesn't mean we can't walk in the fullness of having had a father who did that. But... What I want us to think about is we have the opportunity to be like David. So before we open that up, let's read a little bit about Solomon. 1 Kings 4, verses 29 through 34. Can somebody read that for me? God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding, and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, and the sons of Mah Mahol, Haman, Kalkal, and Darda. <laughs> they must have been wise. <laughs> His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Wow, okay. 
I, I think that description alone is kind of mind-blowing when we see who Solomon was and what he carried. We know that that was a supernatural gift from the Lord, the wisdom that the Lord gave him. But I want to submit to you guys that Solomon was able to walk in these things because of what had been passed to him from his father. In other words, he was building on the victories of his dad. Really important. God was able to bless Solomon so abundantly because Solomon did not have to go out and fight the battles that his dad had to fight. He was not fighting to establish territory. He was not fighting to take territory for the kingdom and set it up and cause it to be prosperous. He was able to walk in the rest that his father had fought for, and therefore he was able to walk in this abundance, crazy wisdom that God had given him. Okay, so think about that for just a minute. It's kind of mind-blowing. Okay, somebody read in the next chapter, 1 Kings 5, 1 through 5. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. So this is the blessing of rest. And Solomon is walking in the tangible demonstration of the rest of God. In fact, the verse says he had rest on every side, on every side. His enemies had been made to be at peace with him because of the battles his father had fought. And so he then had the freedom to go and begin to build. And we see that David had already, again, made the way for him in just the relationships that David had built with Hiram. It says that Hiram loved David, his father, right? So because of that favor in relationship, Solomon now has favor in relationship. And Hiram helps him to establish and get ready all the things that he needs to build the temple. Okay, here's where we're going to take a little turn. Basically, the whole of chapter 11, 1 Kings 11, describes what happens after Solomon builds the temple. Okay, so Solomon walks in the favor of God, the rest of God, the, um, the blessing of God. And then in chapter 11, we see, and we all know the story, that Solomon's heart begins to go after other gods because of the foreign wives that he took. But what's really crucial to know, and if you want to take the time to read chapter 11 you know, on your own this week, you can see that it specifically says that because Solomon did this, God allowed adversaries to be raised up, which means Solomon had to go to battle. Now think about this, you guys. This is crazy. David had already fought and subdued these enemies, right? It was done. And Solomon, with his authority, his power, his influence, had ruled over all of these enemies. They were not rising up in rebellion against him. But the moment that Solomon began to walk in pride, which is what this was, pride and rebellion to the Lord, the Lord then allowed what had been the victory of David to become the battle of Solomon. 
and Solomon had to go again and fight with the same enemies that had already been subdued under his dad. Wow. Okay, so we see here there's this two-fold dynamic, okay? There's the dynamic of the fathers fighting and clearing a path for the sons. We also see that the sons have a responsibility to walk before the Lord in humility and in obedience because when they don't, they end up having to refight the battles that their dads fought for them. So, how does this apply to us? What does this look like? This is what the Lord began to show me this week, and, and again, it was such a powerful revelation. David was a warrior. Solomon was a builder. What one generation is meant to fight for, the next generation is meant to build upon. When we, as sons and daughters, step into the flow of God's favor that is on our generation, then we step into acceleration and we step into the power of God in a way that we could not otherwise. Now, I want to give you guys a, a, a practical example of this. I want you to think about Bethel Church and Bill Johnson, okay? I don't know how many of you know this, but Bill Johnson is, I think, a fourth-generation pastor. So he has his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, and I think maybe even the, the, the generation before that who were all pastors. And specifically, his father was the one who built Bethel Church, okay? He raised it up, established it, and at some point handed the baton to Bill. What ended up happening... And although Bill had to fight his own battles, so to speak, what ended up happening was that because of the battles that his dad had fought and won, because of the territory that his dad had established, Bill ended up stepping into this acceleration of God's favor that we now see on his kids. I want to propose to you that Brian and Jen Johnson as great of musicians and songwriters as they are, probably would never have become world-renowned worship leaders if it were not for the fact that they stepped into the flow of God's favor on the lives of the generations that had come before them. Same with Eric Johnson and Candace. There's an increase from generation to generation that they have stepped into. And I believe, you guys, that the Lord is calling us to do the same thing. Now, here's what that looks like for us, okay? So let's take the sons and daughters aspect first. We have opportunity as sons and daughters to look at our previous generations and to do some spiritual mapping, so to speak, okay? To look back and see, okay, what if they were atheists? What if they were horrible people? What if they, you know, what if our generations have left a, a, a legacy of destruction? In spite of that fact, we can be confident that the Lord put in them things in their original design, things that he wanted them to walk in, territory that he wanted them to take, that if we look closely, we can see little glimmers of it, right? But let's look at somebody like who doesn't know the Lord, somebody like, let's say, um, Elon Musk, okay? What kind of territory is that man called to take? 
It's so obvious, right? He is creative beyond the bounds of hardly anything that we have ever experienced in our generation. He is a risk taker. He is an entrepreneur. All these things are part of his original design that he's walking in. So he may not know the Lord or fear God, but he's walking in part of how God made him to be that is actually taking territory on the earth. Every one of us in our generations as we look back, no matter how screwed up our generations may have been, we can look and with the, with the insight of the Holy Spirit, we can identify things about those generations where the Lord said, this is who you're called to be. This is what I want you to walk in. Now, whether they chose to walk in that or not, that was their free will. But it's important for us to note that not one of us comes into this cold with nothing to draw on. Every one of us has something drawn from the past generations. And when we do this kind of spiritual mapping with the Lord and we begin to ask Holy Spirit, Lord, would you reveal to me, what did you put into my grandfather, into my father, into my great-grandfather, that maybe they didn't walk in the fullness of it, but it was there. That you're actually calling me to step into the flow of that favor because it's the flow of the original design in the bloodline, in our generations. And when I step into it, I will step into acceleration for the kingdom. Okay. Now, what if we had generations before us that were powerfully walking with the Lord? Then we see that we have the opportunity, just like in our example, Bill Johnson, to begin to exponentially build on what they accomplished in the battles that they won. Every place that they won a battle is a place where we get to build. And I want to suggest to you that there are probably many places that we aren't building that we should be and many places where we're fighting battles that we don't need to because we're not building. Does that make sense? We are characterized as Americans by rugged individualism. That's just how we're known. That's just what we walk in. I mean, we had to have some of that to establish this nation, right? We had to have a measure of independence to establish this nation. However, I believe that the enemy in many ways has used that against us, generationally speaking. Because what often happens is one generation will say to the next, I don't need to build on what you fought for. I'm going to go out and win my own battles. I'm going to go out and find my own call. I'm going to go out and do my own thing my way. I'm going to go, basically what they're saying is, start from scratch. So what the Lord intended in his kingdom for us to literally build and work from glory to glory to glory with this divine acceleration of favor on our lives, in our nations, for the sake of the world, ends up getting cut off and short-circuited because we decide, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to carve my own path. I'm going to figure it out for myself. Mm. And so we go back to scratch, so to speak. Now, where do we see this in the Word? Every generation after Solomon. Totally. Every generation after Solomon. Exactly. Right after Solomon, in fact, Solomon's son, I don't know if you guys have read this story recently, but Solomon's son, when he comes to the throne, he decides not to listen to the elderly counselors that counseled his father, but he listens to the counsel of the young men who say to him, you need to do it your way. That's basically what they're saying to him. You need to do it your way. 
Forget what your father did. Forget how he had success and favor. Do it your way, Rehoboam. And that's what he does. And at that moment, everything starts to fall apart. And, and when you think about what this kid walked into, the favor, the abundance, the acceleration, the, it's mind-blowing. And he trashes it all because he decides, I have a better way. I'm going to do it my way. And then every generation after that, we'll, we'll see a godly king come onto the scene and he'll make sweeping reforms and he'll fight all these battles, right? He'll fight the battles of tearing down the high places. He'll fight the battles of the enemies on every side. He'll fight the battles of establishing worship again in the tabernacle. He'll fight all these battles. And then his son will come along and say, mm, I'm going to do it my way. And they go back to square one over and over again. And so we see the consequence of that cycle and how it literally destroyed what God longed to establish on the earth. Solomon's kingdom is, is a beautiful demonstration of, just in, in the smallest scope, the kingdom of God, right? We see the wisdom of God flowing out of Solomon. We see the abundance of God flowing in his kingdom. We see the rest, the peace of God. All these things that are just the smallest little glimpse of what the kingdom of God will look like when it fully comes on the earth. The things that we have the opportunity to establish in small part here in our time on the earth. And that's what the Lord intended for Israel to be. He intended for Israel to be this fame of his on the earth through the very physical demonstration of the kingdom of God. And yet the enemy came in time and time and time again to rob Israel through this rugged individualism, this pride that said, no, I'm not going to do it your way. I know you fought all these battles, but I'm going to do it my way and taking it right back to square one. So Let's begin this week to ask the Lord, Lord, what are the areas that maybe I've missed that are areas of favor and acceleration that you are handing down to me from the generations that I should be stepping into, that I should be chasing after, that I should be building upon? Instead of trying to think, what's my call? What's my focus? What's my way? How do I handle things? What do I need to run after? Where should I instead look back and say, what are the places that you've already prepared for me generationally that I should be building on? That's good. If it's really hard to find those places because of destruction in your previous generations, I want to encourage us as a family, let's begin to ask the Lord, Number one, for those hidden insights of those original design pieces in our family that maybe we've looked over because of the destruction, but also for ways that the Lord wants to redeem the generations starting with us. How do I then create something for my generations moving forward so that my kids can be builders instead of warriors, that they can build in peace, that they can build in prosperity and acceleration of abundance in the kingdom rather than having to fight every battle from scratch. How can I do that for my kids, for my grandkids, for my great grandkids, so that the kingdom of God is exponentially increased? Now, I want us to pay attention to the fact, like I mentioned earlier, that this isn't just a physical, biological bloodline, that this can also happen through a spiritual bloodline. So I want us to look at Timothy, 
And can somebody read 1 Corinthians 4.17? And then somebody else, 1 Timothy 1, 2. Um, for this reason I send Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Okay. Just one verse. That's perfect. Okay, can somebody read 1 Timothy 1, 2? Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, according to the commandments of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. So... Paul calls Timothy his true son in the faith. He has adopted him, so to speak, through Jesus. And because of that, because Timothy had a heart to turn towards a spiritual father, and Paul had a heart to be a father and raise up a spiritual son, we see that there is this beautiful and powerful partnership of spiritual generations that takes place. In fact, in the verse that Janine <clears throat> read to us, Paul says that is why he's talking to the Corinthians about things you know that we won't get into, lots and lots of stuff going on in the Corinthian church, but he says that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Why did he send Timothy? To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So Timothy was a faithful spiritual son to Paul, so much so that Paul then was able to delegate to him, Timothy, take the things that I've taught everywhere and go back to the churches and remind them of what I've taught. Speak it out. Declare it. And, and we see in the book of 1 Timothy, he says, do it with authority, Timothy. Walk in the authority that's been given to you as my spiritual son, as a son of the king. So Timothy takes up that baton and he begins to walk in these things as a spiritual son. Now, the cool thing about Timothy, actually, is if you turn to 2 Timothy 1.5. Luke, you want to read that one for me? Yeah, of course. Uh, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Okay. So the cool thing about Timothy is he actually had a double blessing. He not only had Paul as his spiritual dad, but he had a mother and grandmother who walked in the faith and actively passed that faith on to their son and grandson. Mm -hmm. So Timothy here is getting to build on both foundations, the natural foundation of his family through his bloodline and the spiritual foundation of his spiritual dad, Paul. Really powerful. Double whammy, so to speak, in the kingdom, right? I want to give us another example of that spiritual son and father dynamic, and that's from Elijah and Elisha. Bumping back to the Old Testament, um, can somebody read 2 Kings 2, 1 through 14? When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, you yourself, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, 
Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on to Jericho together. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elijah, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan. But again Elijah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave him. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elijah replied, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. I drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elijah tore his clothes in distress. Elijah picked up, the, picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. I think that passage speaks for itself in so many ways, but the thing that I do want to point out is as Elisha journeyed with Elijah as his spiritual son, not only did he glean all this knowledge of what it looked like to operate as a prophet, but he began to understand a little bit of the heart of God and what God wanted to do in this generational succession. So much so that when Elijah said to him, what can I do for you? Elisha didn't ask for anything, but I want a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion. I want to be able to release in the nation. I want to be able to release into people's lives double what you have done. Because I want to see the acceleration of the battles that you have fought and won continue. Double exponential. A heavenly double of what you walked in. And because of that, the Lord gave Elisha what he requested. And then we see, as, as you guys study his life, he did twice as many miracles that are recorded. I'm sure there are many more that weren't as Elijah did. Twice as many. He did carry a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And again, this is a, such a powerful example of a spiritual son and father. And that acceleration that the Lord wants us to walk in. So for us as spiritual fathers and mothers, our heart should be, I want to deposit into you everything that I carry. Not so that you can be like me, but so that you can walk in 
double so that you can build on the places of rest that I have fought the victories to establish. That's what I want you to do, my spiritual son and daughter. And I'm going to invest in your life so that it will happen. And as spiritual daughters and sons, our posture should be, I want to run in double. I want to see God expand through me double what he did in my spiritual mothers and fathers. And that, that's not a place of pride or arrogance. That's what the Lord is saying he wants us to look like as we generationally succeed, as we generationally pass the baton. He wants it to be exponential. That's the way the kingdom was designed, right? We talk about a harvest and how it bears tenfold, thirtyfold, a hundredfold. And, and I know you guys have heard me say this before, but I've been asking the Lord for years now, Lord, make me a woman who bears a hundredfold fruit. I don't want to be satisfied with tenfold. I don't want to be satisfied with thirtyfold. I want to give my life so that I literally bear the most fruit possible so that when I hand the baton to Amy and V, their lives will actually bear two hundredfold fruit. It'll be double. It'll be exponential what my life carried. That is my burning passion. I pray for that all the time because that's the heart of Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. You know, I want to give you guys one last example as we wrap this up. I know it's been a long teaching, but um, a couple of months ago, the Lord started speaking to me about a woman named Henrietta Mears. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she was an amazing woman. In fact, a lot of uh, Christian historians that, that record the history of the church call her one of, if not the most influential women of the 20th century in Christendom. And she started her ministry by teaching at Hollywood Presbyterian. And she took the Sunday school department from 400 people, and within two years, it became 4,200 people. The Sunday school department, every week. Every week, 4,200 people were coming to get trained in the Sunday school at Hollywood Press. She established Forest Home. She wrote books that are absolutely foundational on uh, like apologetic books of how to read the Bible, why the Bible is important. She was the most influential person in Billy Graham's life, Bill Bright and Yvonne, Yvonette Bright's life, the founders of Campus Crusade, the guy who founded Navigators, Dawson, uh, I can't remember, anyway, the founder of the Navigators, I, I, and I could go on, the list goes on and on. These people all call her the most influential person in their lives. And we see some of these people like Billy Graham and Bill Bright, who, who had worldwide ministries, who literally changed the face of the 20th century, right? through their, what they established, how they preached, the souls that they won, the harvest they brought in for the kingdom. But they literally point back to this woman who taught a Sunday school class, but who lived in such radical faith and had eyes to see what spiritual generational succession looked like so that she invested. I mean, you read her biography. Her house was full of people all the time. She was always pouring in to younger people. She was always giving to them, always giving of herself in such a way that she could build them up. And because of that, the fruit was exponential. And I want us to really grab hold of that because 
she was a normal person, you guys. She wasn't a theologian. She didn't have all kinds of degrees. In fact, she, she's Dr. Henrietta Mears because she was given an honorary degree, not because she earned it through going to school, but because of all the accomplishments that she ended up walking in by faith, just taking steps of faith. But she was a normal person. And yet, her, her heart to pour into as a spiritual mom of the next generation changed the face of history. This is who we're called to be. And I believe, I know for those of you who are on Telegram, I, I sent a Chris Valentin message um, for us to listen to. It's, it's his most recent one that he just gave at Bethel Church. And, and he talks about what we're building in this hour and how God is doing a new thing. And he's about to build things that we've never seen before. And our, our posture right now should be, okay, Lord, take us in. Take us in so that as we go into these new things, the generations that come up behind us will just soar into the places that you have prepared for them. So I want to encourage us this morning to look with eyes both at our families biologically and how we are fighting battles that can be places of rest that they can build on. And then how we can build on places that were fought for us, victories that were won for us biologically, and then spiritually speaking, the same thing. Let's be intent to build on the places that give us the acceleration that God wants us to have. Instead of being stubborn and saying, no, I have to do it my own way. I have to build something new that's mine and missing out and having to start from scratch and losing all of that acceleration in the spirit. Let me pray. Lord, this is such a powerful truth that I want to grab hold of it. Lord, I, I feel like my soul has been lit on fire with this truth, Jesus. I want to build your kingdom in the places of favor that you've prepared for me, in the places of acceleration that you've prepared for me, like jumping into the current and just going, Lord. I want to do that, and I, I want to see that for new song. I want to see that for each person here. Father, would you do that? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear how your spirit is speaking to us, Lord? And Lord, would you help us to sacrificially invest so that the next generation, those coming up behind us, will go further and higher than we ever have, Lord. God, I just bless my precious family in this room with all that you want to give them this week as they chew on this and and dive deeper into it and begin to take it apart and what it looks like for their own lives. I bless them, Lord, with all that you want to give them, all the wisdom and insight and discernment you want to give, God. And Lord, I pray that anything that would hinder us from walking in the truths that you've shared with us this morning, would you just break those things off of us, God? Break off generational disappointments and bitterness and resentment against the previous generations. God, we know that we have to be cleansed from those things before we can move forward. So God, would you set us free from that, God? Set us free from those things. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your plan, that your plans are best. And we thank you, God, that you are doing good things and we will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we praise you.